You're listening to the Co-Creator Network. When you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. Good afternoon. Welcome to Why Shamanism Now, a practical path to authenticity with your host, Christina Pratt, director of the Last Mask Center for Shamanic Healing. She's talking about how shamanic skills can bring us to physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual well-being, especially when nothing else can. Now, here's your host, Christina Pratt. Welcome, everyone. This is actually not Christina Pratt this week. This is your guest host, Langston Kahn. Uh, This week, I'm going to be speaking a bit about an upcoming talk I'm going to be giving in class. I'm going to be offering on liberating your imagination. And so I'll start, as we always do, with some prayer. So you might just take a moment to settle into your body and find where your center is this day. And reach out from that place of your center, calling out to our ancestors, my ancestors and your ancestors, all those ancestor helping spirits who hold all that is good and true and beautiful in our collective lines. Those who lived well and died well and give us the legacy of courage to try again, to move into the world and bring out our wisdom and love in a way that is in service of the vast diversity of life, even amidst times of turmoil and times of a sickness and times of chaos. Those beautiful ancestors who know what it was to be human and know what it is to be one with all things so they can bring us that deep wisdom we need at this time to be the calm at the center of the storm, to find a place of refuge and solace inside of us that allows us to move powerfully in the world and not just be swept up in the mess, but actually be able to keep our hearts open to the reality and truth of the mess we're in while also holding a vision of a more beautiful world as possible and the love that's all around us and taking actions that allow us individually and collectively to move towards the vision we hold in our heart. I call out to those ancestors who knew what it was to do that. Those ancestors who lived through times even more difficult than the ones we are in, please help us to know your resilience. I also call out, especially this day, to some brilliant black ancestors. I call out to Marsha P. Johnson. I call out to Audre Lorde. I call out to James Baldwin. I call out to June Jordan. I call out to Octavia Butler. You ancestors who knew what it is to truly imagine differently than the present you are in, in a way that shapes and changes the present moment. You who knew what it was to liberate your imagination from the confines, the systems of oppression that we all must navigate in a way that allowed you to dream and feel into what actual freedom might feel like. And with your words to inspire others to orient to that felt sense of freedom in their own bodies. I call out to you and ask for your support this day as we do this work together and as we talk together this day. And as you reach out to those ancestors, I invite you to also reach back even further past those human ancestors in your line to those collective more than human ancestors that we all share, those ancestors that embody all the vast diversity of all of life of the sacred elements, of the earth and the sky and the heavens itself, of all those more than human beings that many of us carry in our ancestral lineages individually and collectively. We call out to you, ancestors, please, you who have maintained your own true essences for so long, even as the world shifts and changes so rapidly, we call out to you to help us to remember our own true nature and the deep 
essence of why we are here now in flesh and form. Please help us to bring a manifestation of our own unique genius, vehicles for our own purpose out into the world in a way that helps us to weave into the great web of life and be of service to all living things, to actually be human beings, to be part of what we were meant to be as humanity in relationship to the vast organism that is all of life. Help us to be an essential part of that vast ecosystem versus a sort of parasitic drain on that beautiful diversity of life. Help us to truly embody the role we were always meant to embody as humanity. And help us personally to recognize as we move throughout our days, feeling our connection to that vast hub of life, to feel which things in our day really don't matter. You know, which things we can just let go and not give our attention and energy to and which things really have a deep meaning to our soul right now that we need to pay attention to and help us to put our energy towards those things and to put our imagination towards shaping a life that is rooted and grounded foundationally in those things in each moment. And now from this place of feeling that sense of rooting in that which has heart and meaning to us, we bring our awareness deep into our body, into our own root, and reach down from that place of our root into the earth itself, giving thanks to that vast wisdom of the earth and all of life and manifestation, giving thanks for this current moment and all the possibility it holds in it, even amidst the terror. Giving gratitude, deep gratitude to the earth and life for being such a generous giver, constantly bringing reflections out to us that help us to remember who we are and what we came here to do and who we came to this planet to be. Even when we'd rather not know or or maybe are just forgetting or, or are willfully moving in the opposite direction, still compassionately and gently, and sometimes not so gently, reminding us of what we came here to do until we ourselves can make that choice to realign with the majesty and power of who we truly are. We offer deep gratitude to all of life and we reach down even deeper into the earth, into that original dream of the earth, that great dreamer, that dreamer with perhaps one of the most powerful imaginations in the cosmos. We reach out to that essence of the earth, that dream of the earth itself that teaches us to dream skillfully. And we anchor ourselves in those energies that draw their power from darkness and silence and stillness and solitude, all those energies of deep restoration and repair and soothing and belonging and home and nourishment, feeling ourselves rooted in that deep yin place and reaching even past there to the fabric of what was before that great mystery and grounding and anchoring ourselves in that sense of mystery so we can carry that sense of curiosity and wonder as we move throughout our day and allow the vision we hold in our heart to pull us magnetically towards what we are here to do now in this time and place together. What can only uniquely be done in this time and place together with the people that are gathered on this planet right now. Help us, help us, Earth, to reach into the possibilities of this moment in a way that is truly in service of life. Help us to free our imagination enough to not get lost in our worries about the past and our fears of the future, but actually to truly feel how unknown the future is and shape the changes that we are experiencing towards futures that actually are in service of life. We honor you and we thank you. Hashem.
And so thank you everyone for taking the time to, to join me and listen today. I wanted to start with sharing a quote from Adrienne Marie Brown um, from her really timely and incredible book, uh, Emergent Strategy. We are in an imagination battle. Trayvon Martin and Mike Brown and Renisha McBride and so many others are dead because in some white imagination, they were dangerous. And that imagination is so respected that those who kill based on an imagined, radicalized fear of black people are rarely held accountable. I often feel I am trapped inside someone else's imagination and I must engage my own imagination in order to break free. I want to read that last part again. I often feel I am trapped inside someone else's imagination and I must engage my own imagination in order to break free. And so I've been thinking about this a lot, this idea of being trapped in someone else's imagination and what that feels like and how seductive or insidious that can be. Because when you're trapped in someone else's imagination, you know, recognizing that trap is can be half of the battle, but then you also have to want to actually leave that trap. Because the nature of the trap is it shapes your very ability to see what's possible. And if you can't imagine something possible that's different than the imagination you're trapped in, then there's no reason to try to leave that imagination you're trapped in because you think, well, this is just how it is. I might not like it, but this is just the reality that I have to accept and live my life within. And so I've been thinking a lot about how do we not just notice that we are trapped in someone else's imagination, but then how do we, as Adrian Marie Brown was speaking to, engage our own imagination to break free from that trap? Because I think until we all can free ourselves from the harmful stories and energetic patterning patterning of the imagination of settler colonialism and white supremacy, we will continue to create new versions of that same pattern out of the problems we face today. And I would hope that those of us who are engaged in practices of shamanism, who are shamanic practitioners, would be uniquely skilled in the technology of freeing the imagination. Because so much of shamanism in my experience is really learning what type of consciousness and perception of reality is most useful in the current moment I am in for the tasks that I am trying to accomplish in this current moment. You know, like sometimes I think when we first start on our journey with shamanism, we're very focused on like, you know, what's real and what's true, because there's a lot of things that are, you know, questionable out there that are drawing on our intention, asking us to believe in them or engage in them. But the more I have engaged with shamanism and and what I've learned from my teachings is, and my helping spirits is really that it's it's all true in one sense. You know, when you get to the layer of the vast multiplicity of the dreaming and all of life and that sort of amorphous place where everything's shifting into one another beneath the layer of the reality that we perceive, you know, you could really justify almost anything as being true to some extent. And yet we really have to be discerning as practitioners as to which truths actually are in service of life and the world we wish to shape and create in service to the vast diversity of all of life and which stories and truths are only useful to a small subset 
of all of life and actually are extremely harmful to the rest of life. And, you know, in, in my experience, actually, the, the stories that are harmful to most of life and only useful to a small subset of life actually are also harmful to that small subset of life. Like one of the things that I've experienced um, just to use white supremacy as an example, or maybe not even white supremacy. Well, yeah, white supremacy is a good example is I was um, doing a ritual, a, a, a sort of ritual work that was being held with others. And there was a practitioner who was channeling her ancestors who this, this woman was white. And her ancestors had owned slaves that were um, on land in Arkansas where some of my ancestors who were enslaved had been. And I was channeling my ancestors who had been enslaved, not just those that might have been in Arkansas, but those that were generations back, whichever ancestors, maybe even ancestors who were enslaved, but who felt grief around their descendants being enslaved that wanted to speak to this issue. Now, I should say that both of us, I don't really recommend just trying this out and doing it. We were in a very well-held ritual space, and both of us had done a lot of work um, to heal our ancestors and bring them to a place of well-being so we could even have this kind of conversation together. But as we were channeling our ancestors, what really struck me was the first time um, the the woman who was channeling her ancestors who had owned people who were enslaved um, spoke, the ancestors instantly rushed to trying to apologize for what they had done and feeling a lot of tearfulness and and pain, obviously, uh, for for and guilt and shame for what they had done. And I'll never forget the feeling of my ancestors moving through me and just not being interested in that guilt or shame or apology at all. They were not wanting to hear it, even for a little bit. And but they 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 weren't. They didn't have a lack of compassion, but their compassion was extremely fierce and direct. And what they said was that they wanted that person's ancestors who had owned enslaved peoples to feel not just guilt for what they had done, but how in the act of owning people, owning other human beings, they were actively cutting off parts of their own soul, cutting off parts of themselves in that process in a way that caused them and their descendants to be deeply damaged by their own actions. And the moment they were actually willing to feel that grief, not just grief and guilt for what they had done, but grief for how they had cut off parts of themselves to oppress and dominate others, that was when my ancestors were willing to accept their apology and move towards a kind of reconciliation. And so I think there are, there's, there's no such thing as an oppressive story that you carry that only benefits you and doesn't harm you in some way as well. And, you know, we all have different layers of privilege and different layers of oppressive narratives that we've absorbed within us and different ways that we sometimes might use those narratives to our advantage at the expense of others. And I think until we are all willing to really look at the ways that those narratives are causing us to deeply cut off parts of our own selves and then approach abolition work and social justice work and the work of changing our system, the systems that we're in that are so oppressive to so many, we 
we won't be able to actually create a solution that's different than the problems we currently face. And so I think one of the ways we actually can begin to feel into those ways we are cutting off parts of ourselves is to look at the ways that our imagination is being limited. And in my own experience um, of doing that, you know, I should say as, as I, I am a black queer man and in my own life, I've had to do a lot of this work of removing harmful internalized narratives within myself that were limiting my ability to see myself or my reality or other people, including human beings and spirits and my ancestors clearly. One example of this is, um, you know, when I was when I was very young, I grew up in Washington Heights in New York, and I went to a really wonderful alternative school that, that you know, there's a vast diversity of, of kids there from all over the world, lots of different, you know, ethnicities and races and, and countries. And um, we just, you know, mostly all got along and, and, and it was wonderful. Like I didn't really have to think too much about my own blackness because there were so many different people from different backgrounds and I was surrounded by so many other black kids and black adults. But then my family moved when I was in about first grade to another town that was predominantly white. And I in that town was one of maybe like two black kids in the entire town. And so at the time, because I was, you know, six and also, uh, you know, I can only absorb so much at that time, I hadn't really developed a context for race and racism at that time in my life. And so it was made clear to me in a million subtle daily ways that I was other and that my normal was not the normal. Now, I was already kind of a weird kid. You know, I was deeply fantasy and obsessed. Uh, my mom was an energy healer. My dad was a Buddhist priest. So so I was had some ideas around spirituality that was a little different than other kids in my neighborhood. But even before people knew all those individual, you know, quirky characteristics of me, I would often be treated as strange or wrong simply because of how I looked. And, you know, in some ways, the, the escape of fantasy provided a protection for my emotional body, kind of cocooning my emotional body in other worlds. But, and in those other worlds, my perspectives and experience in it feel so strange. But my tendency towards, you know, feeling safer in fantasy and escaping there resulted in me quickly learning as a very young child to dissociate from my body a fair amount. And to not feel safe taking up space or using my voice um, because I knew I would be judged as incorrect or abnormal if I drew attention to myself. And I knew if I kept quiet and cloistered myself within my own internal world, I was less vulnerable to attack. Um, So this choice to withdraw into myself was not conscious, but kind of a series of rapid unconscious choices that parts of me learned to make to survive the environment I was in. And, you know, my six-year-old self didn't have the context, I said, to understand the systems of white supremacy I was navigating and the reasons people were, you know, teasing me or hitting me or like making fun of my hair or my skin or my nose. But that didn't stop me from swallowing the poison of racism whole and internalizing it and learning to police my own body and voice before others did, really to avoid experiencing others policing it. And it took me many years to even become aware of how deeply these experiences have polluted my inner environment because the toxicity of white supremacy just felt like my normal. And, and I even, you know, internalize some of those beliefs in myself and and didn't find um 
you know, became frightened of, of myself and, and people that looked like me, um, for, for a lot of my younger life until I really was supported in looking at some of those harmful narratives and how I had swallowed them and then engaging tools to really clear them from my energy and from my body and from my imagination. And so it's funny because in a sense, in part, that escape into fantasy and my imagination protected me. Like I loved imaginary games and moving into imaginary worlds. Um, And yet at the same time, as I was escaping into those imaginary worlds, like, you know, when I played with the other kids in, in my school, I would always have to be like the villain or the alien because there was this sort of silent, unspoken acknowledgement that I was different. So I couldn't be the hero in a sense, because that wasn't how our imaginations were trained to see the hero as a young black kid, as we were looking at representations on media. And so even without people who were, you know, people who are my friends that weren't consciously trying to be malicious to me, there was still this enforcing of the culture of white supremacy that we had all swallowed that was limiting all of our imagination and preventing us from even seeing the dynamics of what was causing me and what was causing them in ways that were unconscious to them pain and to cut off parts of themselves. And so, you know, I say all this not to really talk about my unique experience, you know, to present my experience as unique. I think many of us experience this in different ways. Like if you think about, um, a really intelligent, assertive girl being made to feel wrong for being too smart and wanting more than just to support a future husband and children's dreams. Or if you think about a strong, you know, very emotional boy being directed constantly into success in sports, regardless of his own interests, and being denied his right to a rich range of emotional expression. Or if you think of a non-binary or gender-blessed child being denied their you know, multiplicity of experience or lack of easy categorization into gender binaries and made to feel wrong constantly just for being, you know, literally just for being who they are. Or a fat person being constantly told they are unhealthy or irresponsible and being made to feel like they're taking up too much space simply by existing when those are not true. Or... Uh, you know, a queer child being made to see their desire and longing as enemies to be triumphed over or an evil to be suppressed and denied so they can please God. You know, all of these scenarios, I think most of us don't have to work very hard to imagine because many of us have lived them or been complicit in creating the environments in which people are made to feel this way. And so I think part of the work of, of liberating, liberating our imagination is learning how do we, you know, once we've identified these in, environments, which I think we're all getting better at doing, how do we then break free of them? How do we create a new space within inside, inside ourselves that gives us the freedom to imagine a different world and a different way of being in the world? And then once we have liberated our imagination in that way, how do we actually translate that new imagining, that new vision that we hold in our hearts into action in our everyday life? And so I'm just going to talk about a few ways that have worked for me to do that. And a lot of them have come out of my work in the cycle of transformation and in the deep liberation process and energy body mastery through the last mass center. Um, And of course, you know, my journey has been filled with many different teachers and, you know, traditions and modalities that have been technologies in service of this type of liberation. But I really want to start with just talking about energy body mastery because that has been so foundational to not just rooting out individual patterns, but changing the whole sort of bedrock upon which my perspectives and vision and imagination were built upon so that I could 
vision an entirely different way of being in the world and see parts of myself that I always just thought were my normal as linked to narratives that are actually, actually absorbed from societal forces outside of me. And so one of those aspects of energy body mastery that's been really important for this process first is grounding. And when I say grounding, I'm not just talking about the act of anchoring ourselves in the earth as we did at the beginning of the show, but more so actually being fully present to the experience of my body. I talked a lot about my, you know, escape through imagination and fantasy. And part of the problem with that escape is that I wasn't bringing the wisdom of my body into the fantasy realms with me as I later learned to do through my shamanic journeying process. I was just escaping into my head and using the fantasy to hold my awareness outside of my body and live in my head. And I think, you know, especially for those of us who are black, indigenous, and people of color, there's a million reasons that we would do that, that we would learn to hold ourselves outside of our body because we're constantly being made to feel like we're taking up too much space. We're made to feel like we have to tightly police our emotions or we're going to be seen as angry or too much or irrational in some way. Um, we're constantly being made to feel like we have to, we have to perform and so show a certain level of extreme competence just to be given a basic level of respect in many fields or in many you know dimensions of daily life. And also on top of all of that, there's just a real fear of actual death for many of us that just you know walking down the street, we could be seen as a threat in some way and killed or attacked um, just because of what we look like or, or the language we speak or you know who we are. And so it makes sense. You know, we come by honestly this habit of holding ourselves outside of our body um, for those of us who experience these marginalized identities. And with that said, for me, it wasn't until I started the work of moving back fully into my body and really gaining access to the full wisdom of my body that I was really able to start on the process of liberating myself from these oppressive patterns that I had swallowed. And so what I mean when I say that is, you know, at that at that time in my life that I was describing when I was younger and and then even more so as I got older and moved into, you know, high school and college eventually, it felt like there was this gap within me between my ability to feel my emotions and feel my body and then to express my emotions and allow them to be released and feel the next emotion rising up in real time. It was more like I would feel something emotionally rising up that I couldn't quite access fully or couldn't quite express fully and it would build up and build up and build up and then it would sort of just flood out of me when maybe late at night right before I was going like sort of cry and cry and cry or it would never come out. You know, it would get harder and harder to actually really feel and express. And I would start feeling suicidal sometimes and, and, and be self-harming in different ways because there is all this emotional intensity inside of me that I couldn't bring out into expression. And it wasn't until I really began to learn modalities for moving into my inner landscape and being with the wisdom of my body and compassionately and curiously letting my body share with me what it thought was going on versus what my mind thought was happening in my body, that I was able to really begin to mend that gap between my body and my emotions and my own spirit. And so grounding for me wasn't just learning to to connect to the earth or even just learning to be present, but learning to be present to my own inner experience so I could more accurately perceive my, my reality in the present moment and respond to it in real time 
versus my responses sort of lagging behind my actual experience of reality as in my current moment, I tried to just perform, keep a smile on my face and just seem like everything was okay and nice and smooth and just sort of keep going with the flow. Um, there was this sort of fake wateriness in my life at this time that created a lot of internal strife. And so as I began to mend that gap and more fully be able to really inhabit my body, then, then I was able to also gain that deeper connection to the earth that allowed me to carry with myself a sense of belonging and home that wasn't dependent on my external circumstances, that wasn't dependent on being accepted or being liked or being seen as good. And so I could begin to have this space and time and um, inner space, sort of like inner space for my own emotions and heart protection to be able to show up for myself in a way that I could tell my heart, you know, it's okay to be open. It's okay to feel and real and respond in real time. It's okay to be vulnerable and intimate because I am going to be here fiercely defending your right to feel whatever you're feeling, even if it's contradictory and to take up space. And as I began to be able to do that, I also was able to allow my parents to be more regular size, to not think of them as these sort of like all powerful figures that I was dependent on or that I had to, you know, manage the emotions of so that I could be okay. Cause that was one of my sort of codependent patterns when I was younger, but I could actually just see them as fellow human beings and not hold them, the hold them to the standard of being these perfect parents, but just, to be the, you know, beautiful, loving, imperfect people that they are and really develop a new relationship with them on that ground because I had a relationship with the earth that was nurturing. So I didn't require them to nurture me. I could just greet them as a fellow adult. And I think a lot of times we, we first learn many of these sort of oppressive patterns that limit our ability to access our own energy and imagination in our families of origin for many of us or in our communities that we're growing up in when we're younger. And so I really needed that bigger energy of the earth and like a visceral felt relationship with with it that wasn't just like sort of an imaginary idea of like, oh, I love the earth, the earth is our mother, but actually feeling the earth as a force holding me and nurturing me and supporting me that I could make the choice to stay connected to that then allowed me to, to develop a new relationship with my parents and, and those who I maybe treated similarly to how I treated my parents in my life that wasn't based on them needing to be anything more for me than just another human being on this earth that I'm choosing to connect with and enjoy the company of. And so all that was just really an exploration of grounding and, and also how to move out of the mind and sort of a dominating position of the mind that sort of dictates what the heart can or cannot feel to learning skills that allowed me to deeply let my heart rise up with its own wild intelligence and my mind simply to track as it follows the lead of my heart. And so I think that kind of liberation of the heart and our emotions through deeply inhabiting the body is one of the most powerful first steps for liberating the imagination. Now, a second step that was really important for me was also connecting to the energies of the above. So not just the energy of the earth, but the energies of what you might call divinity, what you might call true yang, what you might call just the sky, the heavens, the sun, the moon, and the stars. Connecting with those sort of celestial energies allowed me to cultivate 
a relationship with the divine that wasn't based on ideas of, you know, whiteness and patriarchy um, and certain really narrow, strict definitions of maleness or definitions of certain types of sexuality that I was kind of indoctrinated into, that many of us are indoctrinated into, to think I had to fit those molds to actually be in relationship with true divinity and with those energies of the above. Instead, really cultivating the ability to just open to that connection to blessing and to innocence and to protection and purification energies as simply as a flower opening to the sun. That really helped me also in part to allow my parents and others in my life to be regular size, but also even more so to sort of reclaim the parts of myself that I had maybe discarded because I felt like they were too big or too much to be safe to embody in the world um, versus this relationship with something like the sun that just so unapologetically shines and you can choose to get out of the way if it's too hot for you. As I started to develop that kind of relationship with divinity that was more like a relationship with the sun and began to, I was able to allow those parts of me that were like the sun, those parts of my purpose and my true nature that really just wanted to be expressed and illuminate the world and shine with my unique heart's radiance to move out into the world and, and just be in a very different way than before I had cultivated that relationship. And so together, that connection to the above and the below and the earth is what creates what we call our central channel. And so for me, creating that relationship opened up this new sense of wholeness within myself that then allowed me to have the inner spaciousness to bring my compassion to parts of me that I maybe judge as not acceptable and show up for them to allow them to come back into my own love so I could share them with others and without you know, feeling like I had to hide them for fear of persecution. Now, I want to be really clear. None of this is to say it's a, that, that it's a substitute, this, this kind of personal work for also needing to take external actions in my life that created a life in which it was safe for me to embody these parts of myself, to create friendships with people who really could nurture and nourish these parts of myself, to um, educate myself around history and lineage of people who shared similar identities as me so I could feel their examples and their models moving through me, to also um, be in space with other people that shared my identity, sometimes spaces that were just for people that shared my identities. So I could, you know, compare and contrast and feel into what's me and what's part of this identity and shared collectively. And how do I do me in a way that feels authentic to me? All of these were also part of the process, but this sort of energy body mastery work laid the foundation for me to feel supported and safe in doing those other activities and then also doing those activities illuminated new aspects of my energy body that were wanting to come online using these tools. And so one of the things that I love about the energy body mastery coursework and tools that we share there is that they're not just about, okay, embody this cookie cutter template and then you will be well or you will be healthy. I think there can be really sort of fascistic definitions of health and wellness out there that that are very alienating and limiting to a lot of us who have diverse experiences and diverse bodies and diverse abilities. And so what I love about the energy body mastery work is it's really focused on not saying this is how you should be, but rather giving you the tools to find out what your own true normal is. 
not what has been normalized for you by your culture, like what you've been made to feel should be your normal or is your normal, but actually what your true essence of your normal is in your life at this time that best serves your efforts in allowing you to move your uniqueness into the world. And then understanding that as you follow the path of your purpose into the world and the path of your passion, as you kind of allow that movement in your gut to drive you towards the vision of your purpose and move you out into the world, you're naturally going to grow bigger and change and shift and transform. And your life is going to change and shift and transform. And these tools allow you to then shape your energy body to change and shift with you to upgrade it and tinker with it and grow it as you grow. Because the you know grounding, as I was just talking about, that was sufficient for me when I was um, just learning these skills 10 years ago is no longer sufficient for the life I have now. Now that I'm seeing you know, a huge amount of you know, clients doing journeying almost every day, teaching you know, big classes, having to manage a pandemic and manage you know, systemic racism. And so that the world that I'm in now and the life I have now is very different than the life I had when I had just graduated college and you know, was unemployed and, and living at my parents' house for a time. And so these tools have allowed me to upgrade my energy body as I have upgraded myself and my own relationship with my spirit in a way that I have a foundation that grows with me. And I don't have to feel like if I sort of grow out of my current capacity or if I start noticing I'm reaching my capacity, I just have to stop or move back. But rather, I can use these tools to increase my capacity or work towards increasing my capacity in an authentic, grounded way that allows me to move my power from my root, from my center, versus holding myself outside of myself to get things done in some sort of like, you know, capitalistic, colonialistic idea of progress and swiftness and, and productivity. And I'm, you know, I want to pause there for a second because I wasn't planning on talking about that experience specifically, but that's been also a huge aspect of liberating my imagination to feel what it is to move from my actual center. Not what I think my center might be, but my actual feeling of just being in the truth of who I am and allowing the current moment to pull out of me my essence and just feeling the joy and beauty and sensuality of what it is to be me when I am fully present to my own experience and just allowing who I am to flow forth. And it, you know, it's, it's very hard to put into words that experience, but that's perhaps been the greatest gift of um, the energy body mastery skills and some of the Qigong that we practice in energy body mastery to, to actually get to feel what it, what is it just to be fully me and feel my essence flowing out of me into the world without me even having to say anything or do anything necessarily. Just being in the truth of who I am and feeling what that's like and how joyful that is and then learning to reorient towards that as I move throughout my day and notice when I'm being pulled to these big narratives that actually have nothing to do with who I am and what I uniquely am here to do. And so speaking of you know, feeling the delineation between us and these bigger systems that we navigate, probably the, the most dramatic um, skill of energy body mastery aside from, you know, learning clearing as well is that I learned to have what healthy boundaries actually feel like. For a lot of my life, partly because of my experiences with racism and my experiences with um, escape and holding myself outside of my body, I learned not to have boundaries to survive. I really learned how to just essentially shapeshift into the version of me 
that would best please the people I would with, I was with and create the least sort of turbulence or conflict in whatever relationship I was in. And it took me a really long time to learn what it felt like to actually be in a state of feeling who I was and what defined my space, letting my boundaries bump up against someone else's boundaries I meet, sort of feeling the natural conflict and, you know, tug and pull and push and pull of that kind of bumping into each other's boundaries. And then by staying in the juiciness of that conflict, find a new way to be together with vulnerability and intimacy and compassion for each other that allows real relationship to form. So many of my relationships when I was younger were built on, you know, I had, I had deeply nourishing and wonderful friendships as well, but, but many of them also had this thread of me becoming the version of myself that would most please the person I was with versus just willing to be who I was in each moment. And so learning the skills of how to actually weave new boundaries for myself that were flexible and could respond appropriately to whatever my day brought me, you know, and shift out and be expansive and then move back closer into me as needed that were permeable, that could draw in the type of energy that served me and expel the energy that didn't serve me, that were intelligent, that it could give me information about the spaces I was navigating and the people I was with that I could trust. Those skills allowed me to actually feel what my own desires were. And I think desire is one of the most essential forces that allows us to align with our purpose and with our destiny and what we're uniquely here to do. And in, until I had that, those new sort of boundaries and that relationship with those boundaries, I just, it was impossible for me to actually access that true desire and true longing that my body was trying to communicate to me. And instead I was constantly being sort of ping pong between other people's desires and feeling totally overwhelmed by it and constantly feeling like I had to manage others' emotions and needs just for myself to be safe and well. And so now, you know, in addition to all this beautiful work, this, this is all just like energy body mastery work and then ultimately learning the clearing skills that allow me to go in and find the fear-based narratives I was holding in myself that I'd absorbed from my culture that, and I absorbed in my childhood that caused me to constantly uproot my grounding or not have boundaries or you know, block up my central channel um, or divorce myself from my desire. And actually learning clearing tools that allow me to be with those inner selves with compassion, but show up for them in a way that allowed them to stop those sort of survival mechanisms I learned when I was younger, allowed me to then also free my imagination from the toxic narratives I had absorbed that told me that I was less than because I was black, that I was less than because I was queer, that I was less than because I was gender fluid, that I was less than for a million different reasons that were untrue, but that even if I intellectually knew weren't true, I had still absorbed and held at a sort of cellular level in my inner landscape and I still allowed to shape the actions I took throughout my day. And so it wasn't until I had those skills that allowed me to really find the root of those narratives in my body and transform them there that then I started to feel the truth of the love all around me. And I almost hate to say that, that phrase, love all around me, out loud because it sounds so cliche and hallmarky, but the experience was anything but. Because as I really was able to, over time, you know, over years, use these tools to remove these narratives from me, the amazing thing was, once the narratives were gone, it wasn't like I just had a blank slate and then had to start over. It was more like once those narratives are gone, I felt this deeper reality that had always been there all around me of this love. And when I say love, I mean this force of the universe that was solely intent on helping me to do what I came here to do and know who I truly was and honor the truth of who I was and then show up 
with the fullness of that truth of who I was in the vast organism of all of life. And that experience, you know, left me the, the times when I just experienced the raw truth of that after pretty visceral clearings just left me bawling for honestly hours because it was so different than what I had been made to believe was the reality of things from cultures of scientific materialism and colonialism and white supremacy. And yet it was so deeply true. I could feel it in my bones. And so when I talk about liberating our imagination, it's not just that we're removing ourselves from harmful systems and the narratives they've, they've put up. But once you remove those facades from inside of us and from outside of us, it's feeling into the vastness of beauty and joy and mystery that is the actual truth of being a human on this earth. You know, alongside the shit and the terror and the, and the mess and the craziness of being human. But all of that is so much more possible to manage and work to even change when we can also feel the truth of the love that these systems of oppression try to hide. Because when we don't feel that love, we're much easier to manipulate. And so, you know, as I continue to my process, there are lots of other ways that I also, also other tools I had to engage to, to make that love that I experienced a few times a reality of my everyday life and everyday experience. And that's still a battle sometimes to wake up and love the world all over again, to wake up and actually feel the truth of the love the world has for me. And yet these tools allow me concrete ways to do that, to reliably and consistently step back into relationship with that love and live my life from that place, even on the days I don't necessarily feel it. And so I would love to invite you to join me on this next round of Energy Body Mastery that I'm going to be offering uh, that's starting October 20, I'm sorry, not October, uh, August 27th. And even before then, I'm going to be offering a free class talking more about liberating the imagination in three really concrete ways we can do that. Uh, and you can find um, the link to that on the Last Mass Center website or on the Facebook page as well, or on my Facebook page, you know, Langston Khan, um, and on my website, occupy-your-heart.com. So I really encourage you to join us for that conversation. And this round of Energy Body Mastery is going to spe specifically be centering Black, Indigenous, and people of color, um, because I really wanted to create a safe container for exploring the unique ways that those of us who share those identities have experienced um, these systems of oppression and been caused to have certain aspects of our relationship with our energy body be distorted in our work to survive and navigate those harmful systems. And I wanted to share some ways I've learned to work through that patterning in myself with others who share those identities with me. And so the class is open to anyone who wants to join, even non-BIPOC folks, because I think we all learn better when we're in space together, actually observing each other's trials and challenges. Uh, but there will also be, as part of that course, a study group that's just for BIPOC folks, if, if you want to join that, as well as a study group that's open to everyone that's in the course. So we'll have both safe containers for being in a space where we don't have all the social conditioning and code switching needed, and also containers where we can be messy with each other and feel into our difference and diversity and work from there as well. And I want to close today with one um, last quote by um, Alexis Pauline Gums. 
from her book, Dub, Finding Ceremony. We are asking you to trust your hands. Put them on your heart. Trust your heart. Hear what we are saying. Trust what you hear. We are asking you to build a circle, always a circle, not almost a circle. Face each other. We are asking you to trust the faces. Face the truth. It's round. We are asking you to make a sound. Make the sound you need by breathing. Make the sound that calls us in. We are asking you, not telling you. Listen, we will not yell. Well, not yet. So I thank you all for joining me today. And I hope you'll join me for the conversation on liberating your imagination coming up and for the next round of Energy Body Mastery. We give thanks to our most ancient ancestors. We give thanks to the earth below, the sky above, and the heart that unites us all. Thank you, everyone. Hope you have a wonderful week.